Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me on today's episode is the third host of the James Bond A to Z podcast, Tom Butler. Tom was kind enough to reach out to me and suggest a topic for the show that I could not wait to get into, and that is Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is one of those films that, very much like Jaws in the early episodes of this podcast, it's just so big, and when you get into it, you realise that it goes beyond simply being a film. It's something that's had a massive impact on pop culture since its release in 1993, and there's so much that we discuss. This is one of those episodes that really introduces a topic that I think many of us feel like we know everything about, but once we get into it, you'll realise that there's so much more to discover. In fact, I guarantee after this discussion, you will never look at Jurassic Park the same way. Just a quick little thing before we get into the episode. Uh, my audio on this was a little bit echoey. I was having some issues when I was recording a couple of episodes during this period, but it's not too bad. You can still hear me. It just sounds like I'm a little bit distant from the microphone. But Tom sound amazing, and that's what matters. So, without further ado, let's get to the episode. This is Jurassic Park with Tom Butler. Hello, Tom, and welcome to the Fundamentals podcast. Uh, hello, Harley. Thank you for having me. Oh, pleasure's all mine. And you've come to me with a topic that I'm personally really excited to, to talk about and with some insight as well, which I think the audience will absolutely love. And that is, of course, Jurassic Park. So before we get into it, I just want to ask you, uh, when did this interest in the film start? When did you first see it? Um. Well, my, the interest in the film, I think, began uh, in the run-up to the film. Um, I re quite vividly remember um, I was very uh, heavily into dinosaurs as a child, as many as many children are. It's um, I think it's a rite of passage for a lot of children to be, you know, really into their dinosaurs. I was he heavily into reading about them, learning about them, uh, fossils as well. You know, I used to love digging through piles of rocks, looking for fossils, things like that. It was a real passion of mine. And um, at the same sort of time, um, so I would have been, I think, about between 10 and 11 mm. when I read, um, was, I was really getting into reading uh, books as well. So I was all, always a, a quite heavy reader at, um, at school. Um, my dad always used to say that, um, he took me to the library once and they had to move me up a section because I'd read every single book in the kids section. And so they had to move me up to the to the teenage section. Um, I don't know how I don't know how true that is. I don't think that's exactly true. But I was definitely <laughs> very passionate about reading. Yeah. I started off with, you know, the typical Roald Dahl type things, read all blitz through all those. And I think at about sort of 10 and 11, I was just sort of starting to explore fiction for a more mature age um like i said i read, read a lot of kids book i think i was just sort of ready for, for whatever the next step was um and i think the very first thing or at least one of the very first thing, adult books i remember reading was michael crichton's jurassic park right and i think i became aware of it through um just I don't know, just being aware that there was this film coming, Jurassic Park, and it was being directed by 
Steven Spielberg, who had mm. done, you know, some of my favourite films of that time. So Jaws, E.T., Close Encounters. These are all like seminal films for me growing up. And so this idea mm. that this film was coming, it was by Steven Spielberg. It was about dinosaurs. And I could read the book about it was just that that just, you know, it just it yeah. just really just piqued my interest. And so then um, I got the book. I've still got the, my copy of the book. I can show it to you now. Oh, awesome. Um, it is, it's a hard, big hardback book. Nice. And the version that I got has the Jurassic Park logo on the front. Yeah. Um, but it's a dual, it's it, it's a double book and it's backed with Michael Crichton's Congo as well. <laughs> wow, okay. Which is an earlier book of his. Yeah, yeah. On a very loosely similar theme, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah. And so that's, I, that's, that's the long and sort of winding road to where I got to introduced to Jurassic Park was through books and dinosaurs mm. um, and a love of, of, of blockbuster cinema as well. It sounds like the perfect storm. Um, I have actually read the book myself. I think I read it as a kid and recently got into audiobooks. And that was one of the first ones I put on the list. I thought, yeah, I'll re-listen to Jurassic Park. And I have to say, as a book, it actually stands alone quite well. You know, it's one of those, If I always say to people, like, it's worth a read um if if someone's listening and they've never given the novel a go i'd absolutely recommend it I don't know about yourself oh absolutely yeah and it's it, it's very it's actually quite surprisingly different to the film in yeah. terms of the tone and the style mm-hmm. the all the basic ideas are there i mean that's the fundamental hook isn't it it's the yeah. it's the theme park filled with dinosaurs that's like such a killer um uh log line for anything but the the book is 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 very different and the the characters are different um like specifically the two kids that they're they're switched round so i think lex is the younger one of the two she gets much less to do in the book she's much more of a whiny child mm. um uh and i think there's like bigger roles for gennaro the lawyer it's been a while mm. since i've read it to be honest but um yeah. it's one of those books I'll, I'll go back to every few years and just really like lose yourself in it um and yeah, I would highly recommend reading it, definitely. Um, but it is, like I said, it's, it's, it's very different. It has been adapted well, I think. It's one of those examples mm. where the, the film, I think, is probably better than the book, but the book is, yeah. is, is well worth reading. Absolutely. And yeah, when you get to the film, you used to say it's, it does feel like a bit of a tall order to adapt because, uh, as you said, the concept, it, it sort of screams Hollywood blockbuster, doesn't it? You know, like, yeah, big dinosaurs in the park. But as you say, the book is... It's quite dense. There's quite a lot of, um, I see there's quite a lot of horror themes in it. You know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the book, which is really tense and terrifying. So when you say, oh yeah, Steven Spielberg is going to direct it, you think, okay, yeah, I can, you know, he's done Jaws. Yeah, I can see that. But it's been a while, you know, since he's done something like that. He's done a lot of, as you say, like, you know, E.T. and Close Encounters, a lot of sort of family friendly films. This is sort of the period in his career where he's very focused on that. So you think, well, how's that going to translate? into a movie and the answer is well it's arguably one of the greatest films ever made right yeah definitely i think so yeah he um he was just coming off the back of uh, making hook mm. um and you say that like you know this is a, a book that's very well lent to 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 be made into a film and i think i believe the bidding war for the movie rights mm. you know happened before the book ca- even came out it really? was such a big hit before it even came out yeah there's just this idea mm. of the 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 dinosaur park 
um it really captured uh, imaginations and yeah was was snapped up very early and then there was like a bidding war between the different studios who was going to take it on so i don't think it was long between the book coming out and the film coming out actually right um, um and you're right spielberg was very much in a not necessarily just family f- films but like mm. yeah that's what he was known for um but he later on said that he was looking to be able to make a sequel to jaws but on land right um, okay and so that's that's where he sort of saw how he would fit in with the project so he'd done jaws all those years ago what 75 and now it was like 93 mm. it was nearly 20 years since he'd done that he was ready to um excuse the pun sink his teeth into something <laughs> of a yeah. similar nature um and yeah he was yeah it, just the perfect person to bring this 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 film to life um so yeah i mean he obviously he's not the only person involved with this but uh his fingerprints are, are all over it no absolutely and it's it's one of those that it does very much feel like a Spielberg film, but in the best possible way. And you know, it becomes one of the most successful, biggest films ever. But really, I think there's so much more to it than that, right? It's not just a big Hollywood blockbuster that's all shiny and like, people go, yeah, it's great, but whatever. It's just a film about dinosaurs. It's, there's a bit more to it, isn't there, Tom? Much more, yeah. I think the thing, the thing is, is this, this is a film... Um... And I'm only really talking about the original Jurassic Park, the first film. I'm a big <laughs> fan. I'm a big fan of Lost World, the second one. Okay. I've got a lot of time for Jurassic Park three, mm. but the more recent ones, I don't. I'm not really interested. Um, mm. And I think the, the the difference is is that with Jurassic Park, so first and foremost, it's a brilliantly made film. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Um, it's a thrilling movie from start to finish. Mm. Okay. It's every, every single detail has been thought through, labored over. Um, and the script, um, they've really honed in on, on what makes, um, what makes the story interesting. And if you were to compare it to other films, uh, of a similar nature sort of monster movies from that era mm-hmm. it really stands apart because it's it's i know it's silly to say it's, but it's 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 very much grounded in realism um, right it's a science it's, it's not necessarily science fiction it's science possibility do you know what i mean mm. it's like it has this explanation behind it and then um so you've got that it's it's, it's a very grounded film everything's feels real everything feels textured and that even extends to the dinosaurs Mm. and and so the thing about the dinosaurs is that you've got to remember at this stage in hollywood all the dinosaurs we'd seen on screen up to this point had been stop motion you know Mm. um ray harryhausen type dinosaurs dinosaurs only ever lived in our imagination and this film brings the dinosaurs to life. And to think that this is like, I was reading um, before I came uh, onto the podcast, I was just sort of rereading one of my old making of books. And one of the animators working on the dinosaurs was doing it, the, the wireframe animations using an Amiga computer. And I don't know if you remember these computers. Yeah, yeah. But these were like <laughs> basic. These are like very, very basic. And that's how they were animating these things. So 
um, that it's like it's not just a, te- a technically uh, a great film. It's technically a brilliant film. Mm. The music's great, but really also it's a it's a very cerebral film. The people spend their time throughout the movie talking about the ethics of dinosaurs, mm. and that's the core of it. And then layered over the top of that is you've got the interpersonal relationships between Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, mm. um, Ian Malcolm to a lesser extent, and sort of how the film becomes about the responsibilities of bringing life into the world. Mm. And so you've got all these all this stuff going on, and then the film is thrilling as well on top of that. Whereas when you look to something like jurassic world or even like the godzilla movies that we have now mm-hmm. it's all spectacle yeah and everything and everything else is is an afterthought something yeah. that always, always surprises people to learn is there's only 15 minutes of dinosaurs in jurassic parks in jurassic park that's how long they're on screen for 15 minutes that's a good point actually yeah i hadn't yeah. thought of that but you're right yeah 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 they're literally on screen for 15 minutes. So what is the rest of the film doing? It's spending the rest of the time building atmosphere, building tension. Mm. Um, it's not all about the dinosaurs and, and explosions and all that sort of stuff, um, which I think is something that, you know, Jurassic World, you could argue, does fall to that, fall into that trap, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, a, it's a masterful film on on on, on all the technical levels. Um and then also, you know, sort of the hidden stuff that people maybe don't think about, but like the music, the music is oh. incredible. <laughs> yeah. I went to see this for the first time in um, 40X uh, when it, just after lockdown, it was like the, they ju- literally just opened the cinemas again. Oh, yeah. Um, and they put Jurassic Park on in 40X in my local cinema and I went to see oh, it. Amazing. And the soundtrack. I'm not even kidding when it, I say, you know, it, it almost brought tears to my eyes. Like, mm. it just sounded incredible. Um, and you just, yeah, it's easy to forget all that stuff because you've seen it so many times and, you've, mm. you know, you you know it off by heart and all that sort of stuff. But when you see it again on the big screen and hear that music and the John Williams score, it's, it's stunning. Um, and that's without even talking about the performances of the actors as well, you know. Mm. Um, but I, I feel like I've gone on a bit there. No, it's fine. It's 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 great. I agree. I agree with all your points, and it's that's the thing. I think something that makes a film truly spectacular in the way that Jurassic Park is. It is a combination of all these ingredients coming together so beautifully. And I mean, as you say, the score is. I think one of the first things people would think of. Say Jurassic Park. You're going to hear one or two of the different songs from. I mean, they're they're all iconic, but there's a couple of key ones that you'll go. Oh yeah, you'll start. You can you can hum it. That's how iconic it is, and it's. Yeah, yeah. Just, just John Williams, you know, being the legend that he is in, it, in cinema. And it, it just conjures up that image of the helicopter coming into yeah, land. Exactly. And it's just, yeah, exactly. It, it, it just brings goosebumps to me just thinking about it. Mm. And I think also as iconic as the music is the logo for the film. Yes. Um, it's, it's instantly recognisable. The combination of the yellow and the black and the red. Um, this logo, I believe... Um, came from the original book cover so it was by this designer this iconic book designer called chip kid uh-huh and he basically was tasked with designing the cover for the book um and he went out exploring searching for inspiration he ended up at a museum and he saw the dinosaurs 
skeletons and they were lit from behind and he noticed you know you're looking at dinosaurs in mm. um silhouette and that idea sort of just sparked this idea for for the cover of the book and Brilliant. that's where the logo comes from it's from this silhouette of the of, of the skeleton um and the, the way that that on the book cover it was white on it was it was black on white or in fact dark green on white and then for the film I think it was one of the very first things they did was design this logo for it because you can see in the set photos they've got it on all the jackets on the hats in fact yeah. I think it's even in the shops in the in the Jurassic Park shop yeah yeah and it's just such a beautifully simple logo um and they've never tampered with it they've I mean they do tamper with it a little bit for the sequels and what have you mm. but it stays the same do you know what I mean it's yeah. like it doesn't it, it's it's there it's one of the few film logos I think you know that's instantly associated with the film and that yes. goes a long way in keeping things in your memory i think um mm. I, I can only think of really star wars which has the sort of the yeah. similarly mm -hmm. um iconic logo i'm sure people probably say, oh maybe jaws maybe but that's yeah, even yeah. just the word jaws isn't it it's mm. um um but i think that goes a long way of keeping it in people's memories definitely along with the music as well Absolutely. And it, it kind of helps with world, world building uh, in the film. And I was just, as you were saying about it, I was thinking about the fact that, as you say, you see it everywhere on the island, on all the cars and you know bottles of water, hats, jackets. It just feels lived in. And it kind of helps to bring, I think, a level of realism. It's something so subtle and so simple. But the fact that you can take the logo that goes on the poster for this film and you've just slapped it all over the island. And at no point does it take you out of the film or do you go that's a bit weird you kind of just go yeah that's the logo that's the Jurassic Park logo and you don't think about it and it's just part of that world it's as you say it's so much thought and design as goes into even the small details which is exactly what you'd expect from a theme park right every inch of it would be overlooked exactly everything would be branded everything would mm. be franchised yeah. um there's a great scene in the film where they're talking over dinner um I don't even remember it but they're yes. having like a, a dinner scene and um uh Hammond is talking to the the uh Ellie and um Alan and Ian Malcolm the lawyers there and they've got ideas different ideas for the theme park running on the walls behind them they're talking about you know having a coupon day yeah um <laughs> and um I think one of them is even like dinosaur tennis or something ridiculous it's like what is dinosaur <laughs> tennis but it's that real that it, it's that you know that's how exactly how you would imagine a dinosaur theme park to be envisaged. And I think also something as well that this, the Jurassic, original Jurassic Park gets really, uh, gets across really well is that this is a, a theme park or, or a, a, some sort of resort that is not finished. It's in early yeah. stages. It's in that sort of primacy of its life. Yeah. Um, and it, everything, every single detail really captures that. And you're yeah. right, like the logos on the car, the way that he pulls the uh, the goggles out, the night vision goggles from under the car, and they're still wrapped up in 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 in, in bubble wrap. Mm -hmm. And you know, anyone else with as less attention to detail might have missed all this stuff. Mm. But you know, you're working with a master filmmaker here who knows exactly what he's doing, um, and it all it all adds to it. Um, it's yeah, it's terrific stuff. It really is. And as you say, even just thinking about the visual side of it, uh, it, I think it adds 
so much to it. Not only is there spectacle, as you say, like anyone, I would encourage anyone to go and watch the behind the scenes stuff. Cause I'm like you, I've, I've dived into the making of, of this. When I was a kid, I had this on DVD and VHS and they had all the behind the scenes. And I used to watch them over and over. Cause I was just fascinated by how they did it. And it's one of those examples of a film that yes, it was pushing the boundaries in terms of CGI, but it used it sparingly, you know, it used it when it needed to. And then you've got other scenes like I'm sure people can immediately envision the uh, the T-Rex coming out of the paddock. And you've got this perfect blend of every sort of long wide shot being CG. And then you've got all the up close stuff is a big, real mechanical thing that they've built. And you watch the behind the scenes. That thing is terrifying backstage. Yeah. It looks incredible. And it thing, the thing is, it helps it to, to age really well so that you can yeah. watch it now you know and I'm, I'm thinking i'm literally picturing in my head right now a scene of you know where it's got one foot on the jeep and it's got some tire in its mouth and it's screaming it's such a striking image that doesn't age because they built it you know yeah. and it gives it that real tangible feel which is what you want from a monster in a film yeah i mean the visual effects in this film are um outstanding we when this film came out in 93 um the um the film that came before it that really captured everyone's attention with cg was terminator 2 yeah um and and the guy uh who did the effects on that dennis murin was the guy who then came over from terminator 2 to work straight onto jurassic park and i think when they started the film it was one of the first things they really had to crack which was how mm. to do the dinosaurs right it's the film lives or dies on its dinosaurs yeah and and so um, Spielberg basically assembled the best people in the industry for it, right? You'll notice that this film doesn't have movie stars in it. The movie mm. stars in this film, he spent the movie star money on the technicians to make the, the dinosaurs yeah. right. Yeah. And he talks about that, actually, um, uh, in the making of stuff. So he brought in Stan Winston, who does the practical effects. And Stan Winston was the guy who would build the puppets and, the you know, the the... The, the stuff that moved, the animatronics, that sort of stuff. You've got Dennis Muren, who would do the the, the computer stuff, the, the, the special effects and the CGI. And when he was brought in, they were thinking that they would use CGI for very, very, very few little bits and bobs. I think for the flocking of the Gallimimus scene, that's what they were brought in to do. Yeah. And it was only through tests that he did on what the T-Rex could look like that convinced... Spielberg, Kathy Kennedy, Frank Marshall, the producers on this film, mm -hmm. that actually we can do most of it with CGI. Yeah. And then the third person that they, they turned turn to was Phil Tippett. And now mm -hmm. Phil Tippett was, um, is like a stop motion pioneer. Um, so he was very much from the Ray Harryhausen school of, you know, taking a, a, a clay object, moving it a slightly bit, taking a picture, moving it a slightly bit, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and that sort of thing. And he was brought in to animate or so he thought some of the um uh, raptor sequences and if you watch on the dvd extras yeah. you can see the kitchen scene mm -hmm. with the the what they call that wasn't called stop motion it was called go motion yeah because phil tippett had pioneered this thing where it, it, the interstitial frames between the, the things were blurred mm -hmm. so it would give the impression of movement and the stuff that he does is is fantastic when <laughs> When he saw the um, the CG models that they built for the T Rex mm. that they decided on, Phil Tippett famously said, "Well, I'm extinct now." 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. And, that, and that's the line that they took from him and put it into the film yeah. from Grant when he talks about um, uh, um, uh, what's archaeology. Mm. So, yeah, those three people then came together. Phil Tippett, interestingly, stayed on the picture after that to help with the animation because the CG guys were all computer people. They didn't know anything about animation Whereas Phil Tippett knew everything about animation, nothing about computer. And the way that they two worked together is Phil Tippett created these things called dinosaur input devices, which were wireframe models of dinosaurs, mm. which he could then help to animate, which then was used as data points to put into the animation system. Yeah. And so the long and the short bit is, is this combination of all three um, angles of it you've got the cg you've got the animation and then you've got the practical dinosaurs mm. and the way that they're deployed is it it's the it's the perfect way because each one is used for something different so you, like you said when you've got a close-up of a, of a head you've got a practical one when you've got a long shot of the body you've got a, a cgi one nowadays not necessarily talk about Jurassic World, but what you might find is it would be all CGI, so there would be no practical version of a, yeah. of, an, of, a, of a of a monster or a beast. But Jurassic Park just gets it, and and the point the point that I'm making is is that it was through necessity that they had to do these things. Um, so they were solving this problem as they were going along, um, and the solution they came to was you know just create some movie magic, whereas nowadays. Mm it's the easy option is to go to the CGI route for everything. And so when your imagination and whatever you can do with it is limitless, it almost loses a little bit of that tangibility, I think. Yeah. Um, and that's when you get some of this weird, like, um, you know, um, weightlessness that you find with some of the animals and some of the sequences, especially in Jurassic World as well. I mean, yeah. that's, that, that film is... Um, is very guilty of that i don't want to hate on jurassic world because it does have its fans but um yeah it just doesn't have the tangibility and i i just don't understand why they just went full cgi when they knew they had the skills to make you know the incredible models and all that sort of stuff mm. um so well i think it, it leans quite nicely into a point that i think we're going to discuss um and that is in my opinion when it comes to studios like this leaning heavily on the cg they're going for almost like visual overstimulation, right? They're just mm. like, well, we can animate an entire field of dinosaurs. So you've never seen as many dinosaurs on screen. And as an audience, you'll have about five to 10 seconds where you go, oh, that's cool. But that's it. If that's just a two hour long film, I think people forget this. And films are stories, or they should be stories that like you're telling an audience a story. So if all you have is just visual spectacle, visual spectacle, visual spectacle for two hours, it wears thin and you have to just keep trying to one up yourself. And that was something that stood out to me the first time I watched Jurassic World. So I went and saw it in the cinema like everybody else and thought, you know, yeah, this is visually impressive, but they're constantly trying to one up themselves here by bombarding you with CG dinosaurs. And look, my inner child is delighted, you know, seeing all these animals on screen that I like yourself, I grew up reading books and watching shows about and all sorts but i'm not really getting anything from the story here because there isn't one um and i think that's where jurassic park differs greatly um and yeah talk, talk to us a bit more about that then what what this film does right in that way yeah well i think you're totally right i think um 
uh, if you compare the finales of Jurassic Park with um, that of Jurassic World, the Jurassic World has that famous sequence with the T-Rexes fighting the Indominus Rex Mm. um, with the raptors attacking and like Chris Pratt is peripherally peripherally on the board on, on the mm. on the edges of that scene. The other characters are peripherally on the on the edge of that scene and it's just a CG spectacle. And then in the end, you know, they just even one up it one more with the Mosasaur jumping yeah. out of the, the lake and and pulling the, the Indominus Rex into the water. Whereas in Jurassic Park, you've got that absolutely stunning sequence which begins with, you know, Tim and Lex in the in the kitchen. Um, and then it ends up, you know, they've got them, um, uh, Alan and, um, Ellie then coming back and then escaping through like the various, like different, um, uh, tunnels, um, the, the, the vents, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. You've got them into the lobby of Jurassic Park and, and falling and climbing on the, um, um, the, the skeletons in there and, it's it's just brilliantly done. They're in this museum of dinosaurs being attacked by dinosaurs that they've yeah. brought back to life themselves. Yeah. It's just the irony is is all there. And it's always man versus, uh, not monster, but man versus beast, man versus creature. That mm. It's very tense. And yeah, in the end, the T-Rex comes in and sort of saves the day. Um, but you're always focused on the human story. Yeah. It's always about the humans and the animals... Um, are yeah they're like like i said it's it's the first time you're seeing dinosaurs brought to life and you believe that they are real dangerous animals and one of the things that they really look to do with this film is to move people away from what they thought they knew about dinosaurs yeah and let's not get let's not beat about the bush this film changed the way fundamentally changed the way that people thought about dinosaurs Mm. that's not overselling it that is 100 percent true People before, you know, had this vision of lumbering dinosaurs, slow dinosaurs. And one of the first things that Jurassic Park wanted to do was show that these dinosaurs were fast. They were animalistic. They were dangerous. Um, they were living, breathing creatures. And that this film, it really does it. Um, and I forgot what my point was. But, um, yeah, the finale is brings all that together. Yeah. Um, and you really care for the care for the characters um and that's all been building up all the way through and also the film shows how dangerous they are there are characters that get picked off in horrible ways in this film you know samuel mm-hmm. jackson's character mm-hmm. dies in a horrible way the lawyer character Gennaro gets killed in a horrible way um and yeah like you were saying it's like they this idea of dinosaurs and how if you overdo it then it loses its potency Mm-hmm. After Jurassic Park came out, there were a lot of monster movies, a lot of creature movies, and we had the Walking with Dinosaurs TV program, mm. um, all that sort of stuff. And it was didn't take long for the novelty to wear off. It was only yeah. very short-lived. Um, but it still remains the definitive dinosaur movie. I don't think there's been a dinosaur movie since mm-hmm. um, that's lived up to it. Um, yeah. Like I said, I like the second one, I like the third one. Um and they do some interesting stuff with the dinosaurs, but this one really, mm. um, the dinosaurs are, are the stars. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's sort of diminishing returns after that. Absolutely, but, yeah. Mm. But yeah, so, something I, I was fascinated by, because you sent me over a little um, video, kind of, I don't know what to just call it, a video essay, I guess? 
Yeah, it's um, like um, a lecture, isn't it? A, a, yeah. A, a, an event, yeah. I, and um, I think, well, I'll basically, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, people, because I encourage people to go and listen to this because it is fascinating. But the guy basically points out that there is this sort of different story or sort of layer to the film that's hidden underneath the surface. And it's a very human one. And you touched upon it earlier. And it's one of the responsibility of, of bringing life into the world and, and basically parenthood. Now, at first, when he first said this, I went, no, surely not. And then I just listened. <laughs> and by the end of half an hour, I could not believe I'd never thought of a film that way before. But I thought, it's genius. It's absolutely genius. And given where Spielberg was in his life and his career, it makes total sense that this is something you would have baked into the film. Yeah, it's a it's a, a lecture I think in by a guy called Mike Hill, who is a um, mm. um, he's a, a, a visual artist that works in the film film and uh, video game industry, and it's called Spielberg Sub, Spielberg Subtext Jurassic Park Analysis. It's on YouTube, um, and yeah, it really does change open your eyes to a lot of the stuff that's in the film. That you know, you thought this film was just a fun, entertaining blockbuster. But what he explains is that that it, it the, the reason this film endures is because of the all the extra la- layers that are going on beyond the basic story, mm-hmm. um, and one of those is, you know, it's clear that Ellie and Alan are together. This is Sam Neill and Laura Dern's characters. They're in yeah. a relationship. They're at a point in their relationship, and they even talk about it in the very first scene they're in together about not wanting to have children. Alan's very resistant to the idea. Ellie's very open to the idea. Mm-hmm. And then they go to the island, and they're confronted with this idea of bringing life into the world, you know, through the idea of the, the dinosaurs. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, the birth and the, the responsibility of doing that. And this is really all talking about Ellie and Alan's relationship with each other Mm. and whether they feel responsible enough to bring life to the world. And then you throw into the mix uh, Tim and Lex, the two children who are going through a divorce. Their parents are going through a divorce Mm. and they're thrust into the situation. They then become, you know, the surrogate children for Alan and Ellie throughout the movie. Yeah. And when Alan and Ellie get separated, it really falls on Alan's shoulders to take responsibility for his children, something he's very uncomfortable with to start off with. And so the film is really all about his journey to accepting, you know, that, that, that you know, there is, um, there's, I don't know, there's there's something, it, it awakens something within him, which yeah. again just speaks about the themes of the film. Um, and I really highly recommend watching this analysis because, like you say, you'll never watch Jurassic Park the same way <laughs> ever again. Yeah. Um, and it's just terrific. I mean, I wish uh-huh. I was as smart as this guy to have figured all this stuff out. But like he says the same sort of things that I've been going on about, which is, you know, why this film endures um, compared to something like Jurassic World, which I think, you know, I saw whenever it came out six, seven years ago. I've tried to watch it since. I can't watch it. But Jurassic Park, I've seen more than it. I would care to imagine more times. I've, you know, <laughs> he talks about having the DVD. I've got a VHS <laughs> copy of this. I've got a DVD yeah. copy of this. I've got a Blu-ray copy. I've got a digital copy. I've got special edition Blu-rays. I've got like every <laughs> version imaginable of this film. Yeah. Because it just, it lives with me. Um, and that's just something Spielberg has, I think. He has that power to bring something to life in such a vivid way, um, such a tangible way. Um, and to have all that stuff in there. I mean, I guess the screenwriters must take some credit for it as well. Yeah, um, totally. 
Michael Crichton adapted the screenplay initially. Another screenwriter was brought on. I don't think her, her screenplay went down that well. And then David Coep was the man that was brought in mm. to do the, 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 the final script. Um, working very closely with Spielberg, obviously. Um, and how explicit all this stuff is, I'm, I'm not sure. Like, when you read interviews with, you know, Sam Neill and Laura Dern, mm. they don't mention it as being something they talked about, but it is definitely all there. Um, yeah. It asks real questions. The film asks real questions um, and also allows the film to take its time asking the questions as well. You know, yeah. this is not just relegated to one scene towards the end of the film, like, uh, should we really be doing this? Mm. They don't hammer it home that, oh, this is really a film about uh, procreation. It's it's all there under the surface for you to discover um, under the surface of this thrilling movie um, that, once it starts just doesn't let go until the very final frame it's it's amazing yeah and it's the kind of thing i think you need to have in these types of films it's something that you mentioned earlier you know like the jurassic park sequels the godzilla ones recently i think it's a good example um of films where as far as visuals and spectacle go it's great but the characters you just you don't care about them and i'm not saying it's be horrible it's just they're so poorly written that there's just nothing. And, you know, a, a sort of joke that... Um, I've forgotten the chap's name. Is it Mike, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, the, a joke that sort of Mike made, in, I think, during the speech was like, do you remember Chris Pratt's character's name? <laughs> you know? And it's like, you have to think about it for a second. And like, yeah, is it Dave? Is it Clive? And it's like, <laughs> it's Owen. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, and it's... But it's a, it's a thing. It happens in a lot of these films where, like, it's nameless protagonist who's just you know, there to save the day, they're the, the big Hollywood star, whatever. As you pointed out earlier, the main cast of this film were relatively unknown for the most part. And I think that was a good choice on Spielberg's part because, you know, he I meant he just went and picked some good actors, gave them a real human story, something, you know, connections, something that they could kind of latch onto and ground to. And as you say, whether or not they picked up on some of the subtle themes is kind of irrelevant because they were just playing real people you know and that's something that as you say like when you go back and watch the film over and over again you can enjoy you know i quite enjoy the fact that sam neil is just kind of like this grumpy man for the first half of the film and then kind of once everything kicks off with the t-rex it's like he has to switch and it's something you buy into you know it's something you understand that the journey he goes on with accepting kids and the idea of fatherhood is I think is absolutely there and that's just one example of, of many characters in this film yeah and like you said um the the film really worked the the fact that, that it's not start wall-to-wall movie stars mm. really lends itself i mean these these guys are all really well-known actors now and i would say mm. they were fairly well known at the time but these weren't like you know, it wasn't Harrison Ford here. Um, yeah. The film that, he, like I said, he was just coming off making was Hook. And you've got, you know, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Julia Roberts. He wasn't averse to working with stars. Yeah. But what he ended up with was terrific character actors. Um, and that really, really helps. Um, I was looking into it. Some of the other people they looked at for Alan Grant were Richard Dreyfus. Obviously, he'd worked with on yeah. Um, yeah. Close Encounters and Jaws. And you could see that working. Yeah. Um, Kurt Russell, they also looked at. Maybe a bit too mm. uh, action hero-y. But also William Hurt as well. 
which okay. I couldn't imagine uh, as Alan Grant. <laughs> and the famous one they thought was maybe Harrison Ford would have been Alan Grant. Mm. And you can see that, obviously, with the hat. Um, that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. But um, I don't think he was... I don't think he wanted to be in a movie with dinosaurs. You know what he's like. He's famously quite grumpy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then around that, you know, you've got Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry. <laughs> Yeah. who is just one of my favourite actors. Like, I love him in Seinfeld, and he's just yeah, perfect as, yeah. as Nedry. You've got Samuel L. Jackson, who at that point, you know, again, wasn't the Samuel L. Jackson we know now in, in every single franchise. He was just yes. a really good character actor. Mm. Um, uh, 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 Laura Dern, well-known then for doing um, David Lynch films, but maybe not so much anything else. Mm. And again, she's an unusual choice for this. Like, she's quite a... Um, um, like, she's not what you'd expect from a paleobotanist. Like, mm. she's statuesque. She's striking. She's very, like, forthright in her opinions, you know. Mm. She's, like, not the demure, like, scientist that maybe you would have got with another film. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, just got in um, Malcolm, Jeff Goldblum, who, you know, I think probably everyone knew from The Fly at that point, mm. um, who just, you know, steals the show with... Um, Ian yeah. Malcolm. Um, Absolutely. I, I feel like the, the obsession with Ian Malcolm, though, has grown over over the years. I oh, feel yeah. like at, at the time, <laughs> at the time, I don't know if it was quite as striking as it is now, but, like, you know, all the memes and the yeah. the stuff that I think he's sort of grown into the character of being Jeff Goldblum, I think, more now. Yes. Whereas yeah. at the time, it was he was very much a serious kind of character actor. Um, but yeah, here's just a quote from Spielberg I pulled up. It says, I wanted good, solid actors who weren't going to charge outrageous prices. I didn't want to spend three to five million dollars a piece on actors for this movie. Mm. I was spending enough money to make the dinosaurs and that was where I needed the money to go. And that just speaks Sensible. volumes, really. Yeah. yeah. But then on the, on the flip side, you've got one of the most famous actors, um, Richard Attenborough, playing... Mm-hmm. Um, um, What's his face? Um, God. Oh, oh I've blanked as well. Oh, no. Hang on one second. Hammond. Hammond. Oh, yeah. How do we both blank? <laughs> um, who was right. coming off 15 years acting hiatus, who was one of the most famous directors of the time. You know, he won an Oscar for Gandhi. Um, That's right. Yeah, he has. Yeah. Um, and he is just absolutely perfect for the role. Reportedly, they wanted Sean Connery in that role. Um, and that's why he's played Scottish. Um, but I think the Scottish yeah. side comes from the from the book. Um, but you could have seen Connery doing it, but maybe he was a bit too action hero. You did need someone who had the air of being a little bit foolish. And I think uh, Attebrev really brings that um, to the film. Oh, he does. Yeah, he ha- he has a sort of... It's funny, his character is kind of one that's... It's very soft and gentle. He has that sort of granddad feel to him. And I mean, he is literally a granddad as well in the story, which kind of lends itself to that. But he also has this other side to him. And it makes sense that you think, yeah, he's a man in this story that's supposed to have a lot of wealth and has built this park. So clearly he's got a bit of a more, I don't want to say sinister side, because in the book he is quite, you know, aggressive and sinister. But in this, he's more just like very sort of hardline when he wants to be you know, doesn't like to be challenged, uh, I think. Which yeah. leads to some very interesting scenes later on. One of my absolute favourites is, you know, that him, him and and uh, Ellie sat listening in the 
cantina talking about the sort of the whole theme of the film really and talking about the fact that you know he's, i think he says the line if we could control them and she just loses it with him and it's like you never had control that's yeah. the illusion and it's it's such a great little line and like, i love it every time watching that scene because it's such a great way of just shining a spotlight on it and this sort of this man's flaws yeah, as the monologue about the flea circuit does it as yeah, a flea that's circus. Right. Yeah. He d- just delivers it so perfectly. Yeah. Um, it's just a brilliant um, moment. Um, and again, one of those moments where the, the film is allowed to breathe. Uh, mm. It takes its time. It, like, you know, it gives you a moment to step away from the tension and really, like, um, uh, just wallow in the themes of the film. Like, it's like... Yeah. Yeah. It's it's slow, but it's deliberately slow, and it allows you to relax a little bit, um, ready for the next you know big scare, I guess. And yeah. I guess that's something that that you can also hark back to Jaws, right? Jaws has yeah. that similar um, um, pace in that you know you have moments of high drama, action, mm. horror, and then great swathes of calm mm. on the ocean. Um, while you're waiting for the shark to pop back up. Um, and so, yeah, I guess him him saying this is Jaws on land is, is actually quite accurate in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know it's, it's one of those that's often paired together in sort of special cinema releases, and I think it makes total sense. You can see these two working, working really well together as a back-to-back, very similar in their themes. Definitely. Uh, another character I just clocked, I don't think we've mentioned him yet, uh, Muldoon, played by Bob yes. Peck. I mean... <laughs> I love that guy when he's on the screen. He's so good at, he that, at that role. He's so, so believable. Yeah, he really rocks those, like, long socks and shorts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and totally believable as this guy, um, as, the, as, the, as the game... Is he the gamekeeper? I can't, I can't remember how to describe him, but... Yeah, yeah. He is, like... He's almost, like, from another film, isn't he? He's, like, mm. this very stoic um, character... Um, and he has an excellent delivery. You know, he's he sees through Hammond's BS, um, and is there doing his job. You know, yes. he's very much there to keep the animals in line. Yep. And I don't know if you remember um, Jurassic Park Two: The Lost World. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. It's got this terrific character played by Pete Postlethwaite called yes. Roland Tembo. That's right. Who absolutely steals the film. He does, and yeah. He, and he's very much like the flip side of um, Muldoon, I think, yeah. in that he's this gamekeeper who's, like, into, like, the animals. To collect my has, fee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But he's like, you know, if Muldoon had gone, like, fallen to the dark side, it would have been Roland Tembo. Yes. Um, but, yeah, every scene that, that, that uh, Muldoon is in, he just... Absolutely, he just delivers, doesn't he? And then he's obviously got that fantastic death scene where he's stalking the raptors and they're stalking him. And then he gets to deliver the clever girl yeah. line, which, uh, yeah, is that, just great. That has to go down as well as one of the most iconic lines in cinema, doesn't it? Like, this 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 film has some great lines, but that's probably the one that stands out above yeah. the rest. It's like, if you think Jurassic Park, you think, yeah, clever girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you so said, that scene is, oh, it's so tense. I mean, you can literally see the beads of sweat going off the man's face. You really can, and, yeah. yeah. And that's another example of them using, uh, you know, practical puppets. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, you can see there's a brilliant behind the scenes picture which shows the, um, the raptor on 
on Muldoon's chest mm. and the the raptor is just all like mechanical stuff underneath it and then he's mm. just acting against this thing attacking him on his face it is mm. it's an amazing uh yeah amazing piece of um filmmaking um yeah but it's packed with like terrific characters even the guy who nedry uh meets in um wherever the bar is mm. um dodson yeah. who's only on screen for that one scene you know He's got the funny hat and the the Hawaiian mm. shirt on. Um, he's terrific. I think he's even. I think that character's coming back in the next Jurassic World film. Uh, yeah, I heard some conflicting things on that. Uh, I heard that he might be, but also, well, do you know, what? I'm not going to speculate. Let me just quickly pull up the man's eye. Well, I think the actor who played him in Jurassic Park ended up being in um, prison. Yeah. yeah. Let's um, just let's just say that. Offender. Yeah. Yeah. That's. <laughs> Which is unfortunate, but yeah, the character might um, come back. You're right. Yeah, it says he's in prison. That's a shame. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's another one though. I talk about like a sort of quotable moment of the film. Yeah. Dudson, Dudson, we got Dudson here. We got Dudson. Yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, don't get cheap on me, Dudson. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he sprays the um the the whipped cream on top of not the whipped shaving cream on top of yeah. someone's dessert. That's right. Yeah, he just he's puts just... on like. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like that whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if you've ever read the the, the screenwriting books by, mm. I don't know, is it Robert McKee or whatever? And it's like, to indicate someone's a real, like, bad guy, make them do something dreadful, like, within yeah. the first few minutes of seeing them on screen. And that's his moment, isn't it? It's putting the shaving cream <laughs> on someone else's uh, dessert. Yeah. It's it's terrific. Yeah. Um, but he gets his we... comeuppance mind with, a, yeah. with the Dilophosaurus. I mean... Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That just makes me shudder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the film's got three sort of standout dinosaur moments for me. It's it's yeah. the 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 T Rex uh, in the paddock. You've got the the raptors in the um in the kitchen, and then you've got the Dilophosaurus attack with Dennis yeah. Nedry. Mm-hmm. And I think that what really makes that scene as well is the sound design. I when I think about it, I oh, can hear yeah. the rain. I can hear the yeah. chirping of the animals. Um, I think they actually even like flew specifically to Australia to record the sounds of animals that you wouldn't hear mm-hmm. in America. I think they did deliberately went to like exotic places. I mean, Australia's not that exotic, but um, you know what I mean. <laughs> it's got it's got rainforests. Um, yeah. But that re- oh, the sound design in that really really adds to the menace. And also because it's a small dinosaur, you think mm, it might be all right. Yeah, because um, um, I think early in the film you don't see it, do you? They like no. they go past, and so you, you don't really know what you're looking for. And yeah, when yeah. it turns up, you're like, oh, just a little one. And then yeah. it turns and you're like, oh, oh, no, that's and that's really scary. Escalating. <laughs> he's like, first of all, like, you know, he's worried about this dinosaur because it's closing in on him. And then it spits in his eyes and then he gets in your car and you think, oh, he's going to be all right. He's going to escape. Yeah. And then it's in there in the car with him and absolutely yeah. destroys him. Um, and that scene ends with the, um, the, the thing in the coolant, uh, the, all the embryos rolling yes. away from the car and i always thought mm. that's such a terrific way of setting up a sequel and they never returned to it such a shame yeah yeah that's true i, d- I did think they would have come back to that but i don't know maybe that was something off screen in the sort of in between of that and Jurassic world <laughs> who knows but who knows who knows but yeah truly amazing amazing moment i just remembered actually when i was a kid my dad bought me one of those um as a toy and it was like an electric one that when you pressed a button it's uh those big, I don't know what you call them, like glands or things like just flapped up and shook. The, and the frills, yeah. The frills, yeah. that's it, yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's probably a good time to talk about the merchandising for the film as well, because oh, it's yeah. such, a, such a well-merchandised film, as you'd expect mm-hmm. for, from films of this era. But um, I was up in my loft the other day and uh, looking around and I found a bag and it had the original Jurassic Park cups that I'd collected from McDonald's. Um, <laughs> you know, if you'd bought like a big yeah. drink or something, you would get it in a, in a plastic cup that you could uh-huh. keep. And I had like three of those. They're basically so... F- fragile and brittle mm. now yeah i they're not like worth like looking at but like i've still got them yeah of um course. still got them um but i remember also the toys that you could get i was probably a little bit old for dinosaurs toys by the time it came out you know 11 mm. 12 going into secondary school but the toys were terrific i don't know if mm. you remember but there was a specific type that had like what they called builders like realistic flesh on the dinosaurs so they wow. were like rub- rubberized d- dinosaurs mm. and they felt like unlike any, you know, like they used to be like hard plastic toys, but these yeah. were like rubberized and soft and wow. the heads were articulated. You could squeeze the, the T-Rex head and it would like open its mouth to roar like in a specific way. They were just so good. And the cars mm. as well. It was such a merchandisable type film. Yeah. Um, um, and yeah, I think I, yeah, I had toys. In fact, I've still got an Alan Grant somewhere. Just looking to see if he's on my shelf now. No, I don't. I think he's there. But um, yeah, that again, that all adds to the mystique, you know, of, mm. of of something and helps. I guess when you're seeing a film at that age, it all adds to the experience. It all becomes part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Something else, just while I think about it, that I remember about the film coming out um, and seeing it for the first time. Where I grew up in Lincolnshire, um, the local newspaper was the Lincolnshire Echo. Mm -hmm. And I vividly remember, I was very excited about Jurassic Park coming out. Um, There was no internet, so you couldn't pour over, like, (laughs) anything to find information out. But, like, I would look through the Lincolnshire Echo. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories I remember reading was that this film was coming to the Lincoln Ritz. That was our local cinema. And it was so thrilling, it wouldn't have an interval. And I just remember my mind being blown that this, that the idea that this film that I was excited for, Jurassic Park, was so thrilling. Yeah. They couldn't put an in. There was no way you could have an interval in it. You had to see it from start to finish. It was that exciting. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I've been and seen a film with an interval since. I don't oh. think. Yeah, I forget that was like common practice in a lot of a lot of movies. But yeah, yeah. I guess yes. it's just to sell more sweets. But um, yes. But no, I, th- I think something like this, you're right, it's it's so perfectly balanced in terms of its tension and sort of quiet moments and going up and down, up and down. But yeah, if you sort of paused it in the middle, you, you just, you'd lose that momentum that it's building definitely. up so nicely throughout. Yeah, definitely. I think I've aged myself a little bit there, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't think you feel any worse, but the only story I know about this film when it came out was that my mum and dad went to see it together and it was one of their like first proper dates i think that's a th- oh. story story my father told me um oh that's nice yeah well, my, <laughs> I, I was talking to my uh, my brother my older brother he, he wasn't someone that i grew up with but um he was staying with us at the time when jurassic park came out right. and he tells me that he took us to see jurassic park at the lincoln ritz yeah and we were so excited that he was taking us and he uh, and it, he was excited because my dad said he could drive 
his my dad's car to take us to the cinema my dad nice. had a bmw or something at the time but we were mm. like no simon's can simon take us in his car and so he was like <laughs> just absolutely gutted that he we'd made him drive his <laughs> renault clio to the cinema when he thought he was going to be driving his bmw there oh um, bless <laughs> but, um yeah it's just a funny story that um i i, I he told me the other day and reminded mm. me of it it's just uh it's funny what you remember isn't it but um yeah yeah it's just one of those films I can, I, I remember vividly rem- reading the book and mm. being completely lost in it. You know, when you're reading the book yeah, and it transports you and you're in that world. Like I find it very, very, I think when you're, your imagination is very fertile at that age, yeah, that it, it's easier to do at a younger age. And Absolutely. I think, you know, as an adult now reading books, I very rarely find myself being transported somewhere else. Like I can imagine this stuff, but like, you know yeah but i remember reading this stuff and like reading about like the humidity of the jungles and like you know how like a dinosaur skin felt and all this stuff and just like being there Mm. and then that film gave me that same experience i think um and then i don't know if you remember when the trailer came out for the lost world um uh vaguely yeah it's got such a terrific teaser trailer i would Mm. I, i would absolutely uh, implore anyone listening to this to seek out the teaser trailer for the lost world mm. because it gives nothing away about the film but it gives you the sounds of the jungle it gives you the boom of the footsteps it gives you the rain and yes. it's like something has survived or something like that i can't remember yeah and i remember seeing that at the cinema and just being like holy crap like there's another <laughs> jurassic park coming out again this is like yeah. before internet this is before i was reading like empire or whatever mm-hmm. you'd learn about films as through a trailer for a film imagine yeah. like that now like it just doesn't happen does it i don't no. know about you but like i watch every trailer that comes out as soon as it comes out i i tend to yeah funny enough at the time of recording um i think the what will probably be the final jurassic film for now is due to come out and the trailer for that came out recently and and yeah absolutely i sat and watched it on my phone because as you say that's just what we do now um yeah. and I've, i think they've released quite a bit from that film when maybe even the opening of it, apparently. Like, and what a contrast that is to, as you say, the first sequel that all those years ago, where it was just a soundbite and yeah. nothing else. You know, yeah. that was all you needed, right? Yeah, yeah. I guess the point I'm trying to get to is just like, mm. I don't know how much of it is wrapped up in nostalgia, right. some of it, but also the fact that it's just a terrific movie. Yeah. I guess seeing it, seeing it at a pivotal time in your life, mm. um, and then it really capturing your attention. Um, but the fact that it stayed with me for so long, I saw a lot of films at that age, right? I don't talk about, like, I don't know, Men in Black, like I do this. Or sure. um, I guess the only other film of this era that I, I really obsess over is Twister, which is a few <laughs> years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I loved that movie so much. Not as okay. much as Jurassic Park, though. Uh-huh. Well, no, I can relate. I, I enjoyed that one very much as well. But, yeah, I know what you mean. It's... I think there's a reason why this film has endured the way it has. And I think we've touched upon a couple of those key points. It is really like a perfect storm of all those things coming together. And I'm with you. I, I don't hate the sequels, but it is diminishing returns. And I'm at the point where I'm like, well, it's, you know, like Jaws to other shark movies. It's like, yeah, you'll, you're never going to top it. Yeah. But, you know, but that's okay. You know, I mean, we, we still got the original. We can still go back and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah, it's like having a, a hamburger when you've had, like, the best steak of your life, isn't it? Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, 
Yeah. Like, you want the steak again. You don't want the... You'll have the hamburger because <laughs> you're hungry. Yeah. Yeah. It'll take what you could get, but yeah, yeah. it won't be yeah. there. Oh, man. Uh, Tom, I really love this discussion. I just want to know, was there anything else, any sort of key points you wanted to bring out? No, I, I mean, I was going to tell you about going to Hawaii. I went to... Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to the Jurassic Park ranch, the Kurt. I don't, I'm not going to say it, but um, this was part of a press trip for Jurassic World when that came out. So that came out in 2015. Oh, okay. And when the Blu-ray DVD was released, they flew a load of press out there. I was lucky enough to go out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily go with a couple of uh, people I knew really well so it ended up being a really nice experience we stayed in um, um, this lovely hotel that's by the by but one of the parts was they actually took us to the ranch where they filmed Jurassic Park brilliant um, and so I've been to this 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 I think it's called the Kualoa Ranch where they also filmed Lost as well and I'm a big Lost fan oh. so um, okay, I would highly recommend going but you do like um, you can do like quad bike tours, and they take you around all the locations that they filmed Jurassic Park in. You can go to the paddock where the um, um, the Gallimimus, uh do their flocking, and they've even got a tree there, you know, like that they hide behind, and there's a big Jurassic Park sign. Um, and the, the tour the tour people were like, yeah, this is the tree used in Jurassic Park, and they were, they were like, yeah, well, it's not quite. It's like We've probably this is probably about the third one that's been there since the film was made. <laughs> they yes. basically just chopped down a tree and put it there because the tourists sure. just go crazy for it and it just goes it just rots. Yeah. Um but that was an absolutely phenomenal experience, um, getting to explore that. And, and, and when you go there, you can see really why mm. they chose that location for it. It's a very primal, you know, back to nature sort of location mm. steven spielberg said that they look because the film uh, isla nubla where the film is set or the book is set i think is in Pu- puerto rico mm-hmm. and they looked at puerto rico and a few other i think the philippines maybe to fi- find somewhere tropical um for them to shoot and in the end they chose hawaii i think because it had nice hotels and was easy to get to <laughs> fair <laughs> enough you can totally understand <laughs> um but yeah, they built so many of the sets practically on location. Mm-hmm. And so well, actually when we were there, we were able to visit some of the Jurassic World sets that were still standing. And I think they might still still be up, like the Indominus Rex pen. You could go in there and wander around and see where it scratched the walls and all that sort of stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, if anyone's ever going to Hawaii, I would definitely 100% recommend visiting the ranch where they filmed Jurassic Park because it will transport you <laughs> to being... Mm-hmm. And they've even got like big gate Jurassic Park gates for when you're going in on your quad bikes. It feels like you're really there. There's no dinosaurs there, sadly, yet. <laughs> um, but um, well, interesting, fun fact, actually, there was only ever one dinosaur on set of Jurassic Park and it was the Triceratops. The, the, right. It was laid on the floor, yeah. That was the only one they transported out there. Everything else was filmed on sound stages. Um, but yeah, I would highly, uh, absolutely dream come true experience to be able yeah. to do that. I feel incredibly blessed that I was able to do that. It's somewhere I've always wanted to go. Um, mm. And so when the opportunity arose, I really, really took it. Um, really took it. Unfortunately, I got food poisoning on my last day there. Which, uh... <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> And I didn't get to interview uh, Steven Spielberg, but it was it was great to be there. And um, yeah, would definitely recommend if you ever get the chance to go. And it's an amazing place. Mm. Um, yeah. So. No, Matt, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'm, I'm quite envious of you there. And, and hopefully someday you'll get to, to speak to Spielberg, no doubt. 
Yeah. I mean, interestingly, I've managed to tick off um, speaking to Sam Neill. I interviewed him for... Um, Brilliant. Uh, Will Hunt for the Wilder People. So that, that was, was cool. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I interviewed Jeff Goldblum for Thor Ragnarok. Awesome. Um, and I, I would say you don't really interview Jeff Goldblum. No. You just go into a room and he starts talking. Yeah. And then that's it. Your five minutes is up. <laughs> and then Laura Dern, I spoke to her for uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Nice. Um, so I've ticked off the main three. Spielberg I'd love to speak to, but I think, you know, unless you got like two hours with him, I don't think you're going to get much memorable out of him. Um, But Wayne Knight would be the one I think would be, Mm. yeah, I'd love to meet Wayne Knight and speak to him because he's a big hero of mine. And I have interviewed Sam Jackson, actually, but yeah, I think people forget he's in this film, don't they? Yeah, like you say, at the time, a a small sort of role character actor. And yeah, it is one of those every time I watch it with somebody, they go, oh yeah, Sam Jackson's in this. It's like, Yes, he is. <laughs> like, you're right. We all just forget because he's such a quiet and un, sort of reserved character as opposed to his usual self. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He really leaned into that sort of bombastic. Well, he just became Nick Fury, didn't he? Like, yep. I think that was like. <laughs> this is it. That's, I, I guess it was maybe Pulp Fiction was next, and then that really set him on this new tra- tra- trajectory. Yes. Um, For sure. But yeah, I mean, I guess in, in summary, I would say, you know. Mm. This is, if anyone ever asks me, this is my favourite film of all time. It's like, it's it's been on the, on that top for a while. It used to be Empire Strikes Back. I think I've grown out of that a little bit. Okay. But Jurassic Park is my favourite movie of all time. Like, unashamedly, I'll tell you anyone that, you know. Yes. If, yeah. um, um, just trying to think of a pretentious director, but like, I would tell them <laughs> it was Jurassic Park. Do you know what I mean? Because yes. it's just a great movie. Um. And if you think, you know, you've seen it, go if you ever get a chance to see it at the cinema, because if you haven't seen it at the cinema, mm-hmm. then you really owe it to yourself to see it on the big screen with the sound. Yeah. Immersed in the in the effects, immersed in uh, the experience. You will not regret it. Definitely yeah. will not regret it. Absolutely. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on, man. I, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I guess to take us home, where can the good people find you if they're listening? Um, my best place to find me is I'm on Twitter uh, at Tom Butler. That's T O M B U T L E R. I also host a podcast as well. Uh, you've had a couple of my uh, co-hosts on your show. Um, it's mm-hmm. called the James Bond A to Z podcast. It's not about Jurassic Park, sadly, <laughs> yet. But it is about one of my <laughs> other passions. Yeah, not yet. Um, it is about one of my other passions, uh, the 007 films, um, mm. and we. Ha- Posts a new episode every week. It's going through the creatives and the stories behind the films in an A to Z format. Um, and we've done, I think, like 10 of the films so far. So we're working through. We're getting there. I think we'll be wrapped up by the end of this year. Um, but, yeah, I'd love if uh, people enjoyed this to come and have a listen to the, the James Bond A to Z. Um, and, yeah, we're on – that podcast is it can be found at James Bond A to Z, A-T-O-Z. That's right. And I'll be putting links to all of it. Uh, and yeah, I do recommend, as you say, your co-hosts were kind enough to come on the show. And funny enough, we talked about James Bond. So <laughs> that's something for people to go and check out and absolutely follow. I listened to a few episodes. It's well worth keeping up with. I think you guys are doing brilliant work. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, I guess all that's left to say is, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you, Harley. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoy listening to your podcast as well. It's um, I've learned a lot of different things about a lot of different subjects. So, uh, yeah, Sweet. it's always a pleasure to 
to, to be able to come on. Thank you. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Tom for coming onto the podcast and sharing your love of this magnificent film. I think you guys will agree with me when I say that that was a truly amazing conversation with some absolutely eye-opening revelations and insights into this film. I've uh, linked into the show notes the video that we talked about, Mike Hill's subtext of Jurassic Park. It's an excellent video. Highly recommend you go and check that out. As well as Tom's podcast, the James Bond A to Z podcast. Some of you may remember that a few episodes ago, I was fortunate enough to have on his co-hosts, Tom and Brendan, to talk about, well, funny enough, James Bond. You can go and check out that episode if you haven't already. It's a great listen, and their podcast is absolutely a must-hear for anyone who loves James Bond. As ever, I want to give a huge thank you as well to the resident artist for the show, Alex. If you like the look of the logo and the Twitter banners that I have for this show, make sure you look up his details in the show notes. You can commission him for your very own artwork as well. And of course, I want to give a massive thank you to you, dear listener. If this is your first time listening to Fundamentals, well, thank you so much for checking out this podcast and this episode. Make sure you go back and have a look at the back catalogue. There are now over 50 episodes for you to enjoy. Really, the aim of this podcast is simple. It's exploring pop culture one conversation at a time. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, then make sure you give us a follow, a like, a subscribe, whatever it is you have to do on your favourite podcatcher to stay up to date with episodes. They come out on a fortnightly basis. Uh, and I do plan on doing a few specials as well to sprinkle in for good measure this year. So make sure you stay tuned for those. If you are enjoying the show, you've been supporting it for a little while and you want to go one step further to supporting me, there are a couple of ways you can do that. It's really straightforward. The best way, and it's free, which is also a bonus, is to simply tell people about the podcast. You can share it on your social medias. If you do that, tag me. That's all in the show notes. You can follow me on social media. Let me know you've done that. You can also leave a review or a rating. Five stars is the preferable one because it gets people to find this podcast. You can do that on a number of platforms. And if you've been kind enough to do so and I've missed it, then please make sure you contact me by the details in the show notes because I'd love to thank you personally on this very podcast. If you've gone that far to support me, the least I could do is give you a shout out, right? And of course, the other thing you can do if you want to send a little bit of money my way for the podcast is to go and have a look at the merch that is in the Tee Public store. I'm really happy with some of the designs we have there. I've put links in the show notes again. You can go and check that out. They do periodic sales, so make sure you swoop in at the right moment. Grab yourself a T-shirt, a mug, a laptop case, whatever it is you fancy with the incredible artwork by Alex on there. Again, if you do that, tag me in the, uh, in the social medias with a picture or something just to tell me that you've done that because I would love to see it out in the wild. I would love to thank you for doing so. And it would just be amazing for, to see, really. Again, they're amazing designs. You can find them all in the Tea Public store in, linked in the show notes. Right, that's enough rambling from me. I'll be back again in a few weeks' time with a completely different guest on a completely different subject. So make sure you're followed, you're subscribed, all that good stuff, and I will see you next time. Jurassic Park.